Um, it's been a while since the last time that we recorded anything for this podcast, and we really wanted to, I guess, change the direction of what we were doing. So instead of in the last two episodes, we kind of just talked about what was happening in the news cycle, but we really wanted to instead make this more informational. So now what we're going to try to do is each episode is going to go more in depth on one specific issue that's been particularly relevant. And so for this one, we've decided to go with the union elections that happened two weeks ago, one week ago, um, depending on when this wait, is this two weeks ago. I'm not sure. But um, a while ago, ago, depending on what? A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, yes. Depending on um, when this, when we decide to like post this out. But um, yeah, so in Bessemer, Alabama, for those of you that don't know, there was a uh, union election at an Amazon warehouse where basically worker, Amazon workers voted to unionize. So um, yeah, we can talk a little bit more about that. But I wanted to start off specifically with just like, just some background on why these Amazon workers wanted to unionize in the first place. So like, um, so just like, what were the conditions in these warehouses that, that led these workers to want to organize? Yeah, so one of the, like we did a research post on our Instagram and it covered uh, Amazon and like its anti-unionization efforts and like what's going on with that. Uh, obviously, a lot has happened since then, and I think Cerner and Yanko will talk more about that. But um, <laughs> the basic is just that workers are facing horrible working conditions in these Amazon warehouses specifically. And yeah. Yeah, so uh, on the on the working conditions point, so the problem with what I've, what I've been reading is that the problem in Amazon warehouses is not, is not just really the physical difficulty of this labor that's happening, but it's also the pace of that labor. So what Amazon is doing is they've installed technology that like literally tracks the workers every move to make sure that they're fulfilling their quotas. So like two items per minute, for example. And what's happening is number one, it's extremely tiring because you're working nonstop. They get no breaks whatsoever. And yeah, they do technically get breaks. They get two 30 minute breaks, but no worker actually uses those breaks because if they do use those breaks, then they end up not being able to fulfill those quotas. So basically breaks don't exist. They're working nonstop for eight hours a day. Um, or sorry, yeah, yeah, eight hours a day. And, um, and what it also does is it gets rid of what we call micro rests. So like in between like lifting a box and you're looking for the next item that you're supposed to be doing, um, you're not really doing anything with your hands. So that's like a 10 second duration where you can sit there and do nothing. But um, because of this technology that like points them specifically to the items that they're going to, Amazon is quickening the pace of the work. So basically treating these workers like they're not even human, like robots. And so it's extremely tiring. And um, that's why we see that like this, this, this ultra efficient work is leading to a lot of workplace accidents and, and workplace injuries, which we see like, I think warehouses have like double the amount of warehouse injuries um, than like um, similar areas of work outside of Amazon. So there's that. And then like when you have this maximum efficiency and no breaks, you we have a situation where you literally have workers not being able to use the restroom. 
um, at work and they're literally peeing in bottles and shitting in bags. And yeah, there were reports of that going around and really goes to show just how horrific conditions in those warehouses are. So what ended up happening was like, yeah, it's, it was kind of, it's kind of funny in a morbid way. So Amazon was uh, one on Twitter and I was like, no, we don't actually make uh, our employees, you know, pee in bottles. And they were replying to representative Mark Pocan, who's a uh, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's a guy with decent policy. And then later they ended up having to apologize, admitting, yes, some of our workers do pee in bottles. So like, that's just something that, you know, a company shouldn't ever have to do is say, hey, we are, you know, our employees not peeing in bottles during their shifts. Yeah. Like what type of work, like what type of workplace do you need to like, like how bad does it have to be where this is happening? Like, it's just so horrific to think about, like, that there are people in the United States that actually do this for a living. And I, it brings me back to like, um, like I think in fifth grade, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but we read about like um, workers in China that were working on iPhones, right? And how their conditions are like horrible. And so it's like, you see those same exact conditions happening in the United States. And it's just not something that you would expect. But also like to the point about um, them claiming that they didn't know, or like them claiming that like this wasn't happening, that uh, workers weren't urinating in bottles. There were reports that came out that Amazon, so Amazon basically went on Twitter and like, like pretended that they didn't know that this was happening and just denied everything. But then there were reports from The Intercept that talked about how um, Amazon, like it was like leaked emails of management to employees where like, they knew that this was happening. And so after this reporting is when Amazon was like, um, oh yeah, sorry, we lied. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anything else you would like to add on, Yega? Well, I mean, yeah, basically the reason they ended up having to pay is because Amazon has this pay system or as certainly kind of talked about, or basically if you take like any break or slow down at all, you get docked and eventually like, you know, you suffer consequences if you don't match a, like a breakneck pace. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue. Yeah. And then I also read about like the 40 hour work week, how this type of work completely destroys the point of the 40 hour work week, because it's usually like, it's supposed to be, you work for eight hours, you get eight hours to yourself and then you sleep for eight hours, right? That's your day. But with Amazon, like if you're working eight hours nonstop, those eight hours that you get to yourself, you can't exactly do anything because you feel like shit, right? Your entire, you know, you know, your entire body is sore. You literally cannot move. And so it's like even outside of work, you still get severely impacted by this. And then also like during COVID, we know that like, um, yeah, during COVID, it's getting even worse. There's a lot of um, which uh, there's a lot of COVID, like like COVID spreading a lot in these warehouses because these workers not only are they not getting paid sick leave, but also they have to go to work. So that like basically forces them to go to work because they still need to make money, right? And Amazon's not providing them any protection equipment, which is why at some Amazon warehouses you have rates of coronavirus being four times higher than in the community that surrounds it, right? So absolutely horrifying situations there.
I, I also wanted to point out that like I think there were reports that like Bezos is like pat like getting like um new technology like wristbands or something like that where they're like tracking the workers every move using like cameras or something I don't know if that's something that you've read as well hasn't Bezos but, done? I thought he's no longer CEO or yeah but he he only did that to like you know get out of public attention but like like amazon i guess amazon is patenting this new technology but i, I mean it's just horrifying i guess i guess this also kind of reinforces the point that like you know how um conservatives are always like oh these people are like not working very hard they're super lazy and you know but like this kind of draws the line between like what the difference between low skilled labor and labor that's easy right because work at an amazon warehouse is very low skill right but i would rather be working an office job than working in an amazon warehouse because it is so hard um so that is also something that needs to be kept in mind there but yeah yeah on the on the unionization part so i guess um i i feel like we should maybe go into like what a union is and like how like like, why is it a good thing, kind of? Well, I mean, unions are basically, you know, when workers get together yeah. and they collectively bargain for wages and working conditions. And the right. AFL-CIO did this thing. I think they uh, there's research showing that workers in unions make somewhere between the 10 more than workers not in unions. Yeah. Um, and it's especially important in the context of Amazon and also large companies like Walmart, which were, I think, the two biggest employers in the country, because what we see is that specifically in Bessemer, Alabama, but also in a lot of places in the United States is that Amazon is the only or one of the only employers around. Right. And so when there is no competition in the labor market. So like workers that work at Amazon, if they don't like it, they really can't go anywhere else. They have no other options for work. Then that gives Amazon a lot of power over the workers, right? And so unions are really the only way that workers can maybe check back on, um, on the overwhelming labor market power that Amazon has. But I guess like we can, I mean, to, to put into context just how helpful a union can be, I guess we can go down a list. Like there's like a brief list of accomplishments out there, which is like um, unions are the reason why we have weekends. They're the reasons why we don't have any child labor. Um, I can't think of anything right now. Let oh, me um, I have the AFL-CIO list on like uh, more oh, modern yeah, benefits. So yeah. well, a good one is health insurance. Uh, if you're not in a union, only around half of people not in a union have health insurance. Whereas if you're in a union, three quarters have health insurance. With pensions, people in unions, 70% have pensions. Whereas people outside of unions, only 13% have, uh, have pensions. Mm -hmm. And there's also leave, where people in unions, 90% have paid sick leave. But if you're not in a union, there's only a 73% chance you have paid sick leave. And there's also, you know, as I mentioned before, 10 to 30% increase in wages as the median a, a weekly salary of someone who's in a union is around $1,100, whereas it's $900 for people outside of unions. Right. And I think it was somewhere that like, so with unions, 
a minimum wage would essentially be unnecessary at that point because then you can have the union negotiating higher wages. So that would be amazing. But what I was blanking on was, um, yeah, the higher wages lead to lower income inequality, but also it decreases the racial wealth gap. What we saw was, I think it was like in the 20th century, a lot of unions were very exclusive to white people only. But eventually you saw that go away a little bit and you saw the inclusion of black workers. And what we saw was lower racial, like the racial wealth gap, gap was um, like more narrow than it is without unions, obviously, because now we have workers of color and a lot of, I think, um, in Amazon warehouses, workers are predominantly people of color, right? When these people are making more money, obviously you're gonna see a lower um, racial wealth gap as well. And uh, moving on to what Sternry said about the, uh, you know, how unions uh, collectively bargain for wages. Like if you look at Nordic nations, they have this thing called sectoral bargaining and they have really high minimum wages, basically. Like basically entire sectors of the industries are unionized and they can directly negotiate with like large amounts of employers. So while they technically don't even have a minimum wage, you effectively see no one making less than around $20 an hour in the Nordic nations. I guess maybe we can get into just like how unions have fallen since like the 1950s, like the 1900s. So um, it used to be like during the industrial revolution and the Gilded Age that unions were incredibly strong because what you saw was um, there was horrible working conditions, even worse than today. Um, people were working longer hours for lower wages and there were huge monopolies happening in like coal and steel. And so we had really powerful unions and unions were extremely, I guess, well known during that time. Now we don't really see unions as part of our culture. Like you have a lot of, uh, like a big reason as to why the union drive in Amazon didn't work out very well is because, you know, in the past, um, workers like they would have a friend or a parent or a grandparent or someone that was in a union and could attest to the benefits that they got from being a part of that union. But now, since you don't have that, um, now since unions aren't very prevalent, it's like a lot of these workers don't aren't really familiar with the with just how much they can benefit from being in, in a union, and that's largely due to like the decline of in support for unions and like, you know, the government. So starting from Ronald Reagan, um, there was an incident, I think, where Reagan publicly fired a bunch of air traffic controllers that were trying to unionize. And that really signaled that the government was, and we really haven't gotten a very pro-union president ever since that, um, Joe Biden being probably the first one that you would probably consider pro-union. Um, and then, yeah, also just having a lot of outsourcing of jobs that really d diminished the labor market power of the union. Also, um, in general, yeah, basically in the U.S. versus other nations, the U.S. has some pretty anti-union laws in general. Mm -hmm. Like when uh, Cerner was talking about, you know, the strike where Reagan was able to, you know, just basically just fire a bunch of the people on strike. In many nations with, you know, uh, stronger protections for unions, uh, there's laws against being able to, you know, fire people for just being on strike. Basically, being on strike is basically uh, you're legally protected to be on. Can't just fire you for that unless you like, you know, you do something during the strike that's bad. 
Yeah, although I do think it's still illegal in the United States as well to fire a worker that's doing that. I, I mean, I, uh, I guess y'all uh, did research on, y'all did a post about like how Amazon tracks unions and like unionization in its warehouses, if you want to go into that a little bit. Uh, you want me to talk about just in general, like what happened this time? Like like how they monitor unionization <clears throat> efforts. So like, like oh, things okay. about heat maps and things like that. Well, um, I didn't hear about the heat maps. You can discuss that, but I heard about <laughs> other long, things. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I guess, um, yeah, so Amazon does a lot of things to monitor unionization efforts um, in its warehouses and also in Whole Foods stores, which I think is like a branch of like Amazon. Um, so they have like heat maps that rate all of their warehouses um, on like the likeliness, the likelihood of unionization in those. So like to figure out where to allocate their anti-union resources. They plant uh, cameras on workers to make sure they're not stopping too much for breaks where they could potentially be talking to other workers about um, anything really. And that's a threat to Amazon when workers start working together and also like tracking steps to make sure that they're always on task and not really taking a break to yeah talk to other workers. But um, yeah, Amazon spends a lot of money on anti-unionization. So like, like not just like technology, but also the anti-union industry is extremely lucrative. Like it's extreme, it's like booming right now where you have like lawyers and advisors who give you all these strategies on how you can combat unionization efforts. Yeah, in particular this time I was reading up about what Amazon did um, one of the things they do is basically they have many meetings where they basically just do entire presentations solely on, you know, voting no on the union vote. They also do other things like, you know, they put up posters everywhere, like talking about how, you know, the union would like, you know, destroy and close the things and tons of people would lose their jobs. And this is kind of like shows what's so important about, you know, like the signing the PRO Act, which we're probably going to get onto, because the yeah. PRO Act would have made a lot of the things that Amazon did this time illegal. Yeah, and out and they oftentimes they like just outright lied about what was happening with like in these meetings, they the Amazon strategy has always been to just completely intimidate these workers the entire time that they're at the warehouse. And so in these meetings, they they sometimes like I remember there was something about how like they talked about five hundred dollar dues when number one, like that that like the dues were not $500. Like there was no way they would have known that, but also that in Alabama specifically, there's like right to work laws or something like that, that makes sure that you don't have to pay those dues anyway. And Amazon didn't really like, that's not the part, but like, it doesn't matter that Amazon is lying. Their goal is not to tell the truth. Their goal is to prevent unionization from happening. But also like on top of what Yanka mentioned, there's so many other things that they did. For example, like they, um, I think there was a worker strike in New York where um, they were protesting like the COVID safety stuff ha was happening in warehouses and they actually fired the lead organizer, which is, which raised a lot of eyebrows because that is technically illegal, right? But they said it was because of, it was because he violated quarantine, right? But we all know, I mean, there's no really real way of knowing what their intent was, but I think it's pretty obvious that it wasn't because he was violating quarantine um, protocol. It was because he was 
threatening um, that he was organizing a strike. Let's see. I mean, the good uh, news is like there's been cases like this before, and the people fired have you know won their lawsuits against companies, did things like that. Yeah. So hopefully that happens this time. Oh, and just like just other things that just <clears throat> demonstrate the length that just how scared Amazon is when it comes to unions. So one is that they literally they made sure that the mailbox for voting was at the warehouse. So what, what, what would happen was you would be voting, but you would also have managers just sitting right there pressuring you and intimidating you as you're casting your ballot. So you obviously, obviously it's not very fair, but they went as far as to change the stoplights because one strategy that the um, union was using was that um, at the stoplight right outside the warehouse, they would, you know, stop the workers and talk to them like, hey, you want to talk about unionization, right? But what Amazon did was they literally changed the stoplight to make sure that that didn't happen, that minimized the chances that um, a worker would stop before going to work and meet uh, a union organizer. And then, uh, as we mentioned earlier with the whole pee in the bottles thing, that they literally hired a bunch of Twitter people, like a bunch of social media people to just reply to tweets about like the, I saw <laughs> the working conditions in Amazon. They just hired a bunch of bots basically that acted like they were workers, but they really weren't. And the amount of money that they spent, like you might as like the amount of money they spent on making sure that they wouldn't spend money paying workers more basically is like, it's like preposterous just how much money went into preventing this one unionization effort. And it goes to show just how much it scares Amazon that this is happening. I mean, it's because they know that, you know, once you get one union, the chain starts rolling, there's going to be more unions in other spots. I'm pretty sure this was like, if this succeeded, it would have been the first union at an Amazon warehouse. Yeah, and it goes Ever. to show just how successful Amazon has been in making sure that their workers have no power whatsoever in the workplace. But I also want to bring up this other point is that this isn't something that Amazon did, but I don't know if you guys heard about this, but Kroger, like when when one of their stores saw more unionization, they literally closed the store. Like they would rather just close the entire store then allow their workers to unionize. And it's like, these are such extreme tactics that are being used to make sure that unionization doesn't happen. Yeah, so the one specifically in Alabama, I think it was the biggest in Amazon's history. And it's actually like the second, it's just the second time that they were actually able to vote. So that means that Amazon's pretty good at suppressing it even before it gets to the union vote. Um, and I think also the union filed some claim against the against Amazon about mm-hmm. like threatening their workers with layoffs, threatening to close the warehouse. You just mentioned how Kroger would rather close their store than allow one store to be unionized. I think uh, they were claiming that Amazon also threatened to close the warehouse. So I guess um, if, I don't know, it's a big threat. And I'm also seeing some stuff about like, there's a new push in Staten Island after the vote that happened. So this is like now, well, not now when you're listening to the podcast, but like now as in today. Yeah. 
No, like, yeah, yeah. The Amazon definitely did a lot of shady things that could be challenged in court. But I think another, like to your point, that if you're an Amazon worker, right? Like, sure, this union is great and all, but you saw what they did to other workers like Chris Smalls, right? You saw, you see the lengths they're willing to go to to prevent unions from forming. And you also see how none of these laws, none of these technically illegal things like firing workers for wanting to unionize, none of those things are actually enforced in under the current like government. And you see all that and Amazon's the only work in town, right? If you lose this job, you're probably not gonna be able to find another good paying job for quite a while. It's in the middle of a pandemic, right? You have a family to support probably, you gotta support yourself. And so it really makes a lot of sense why so many workers voted no, not because they oppose the union, but they're afraid of like what voting for a union could mean for themselves. They're afraid of how they could be punished um, basically. And it just goes to show how unbalanced um, the power is here. And um, it's really funny because I came across an article that was like, unions rely on coercion to survive or something like that. And it like makes it seem like this, these unions are like bullying workers into joining. And it's like, if you look at the power dynamics that are happening right now, who's the bully here? Like the union obviously has no power whatsoever. It's very much in favor of Amazon. So it's very weird to suggest that, um, that I'm blanking here. It's very weird to suggest that the unions, yeah, that the unions are abusing their workers or yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. I wanted to add on to that because I remember you said that Alabama is a right to work state. And I just want Mm -hmm. to kind of explain exactly what that means. Basically there's around 27 states in the U S that have right to work laws where they basically it's stated there were laws that weaken unions. Like here, let me just read prohibits union security agreements. Basically, it makes it harder for unions to, you know, directly negotiate with employers uh, as a collective over all the members, and they make it illegal to require payment of union dues, like uh, what Turner was also talking about earlier. So basically, they just weaken unions. There's pretty big uh, side effects of it, like the Economic Policy Institute, just basically saying that uh, in state, you know, there, there's right to work laws, there's, you know, lower pay, mm-hmm. less people with employer sponsored health insurance. And, you know, they're less uh, yeah. retirement plans. Yeah. And that's also something that needs to be pointed out, too, that this happened in Alabama. And Alabama is not a very pro-labor state, right? It's a very right wing. It's in the deep south, if my, if my geography is correct. It's in the deep south. Um, yeah, it's very red. And that's also something that I need, we need to point out, too, is that the Republican Party is trying to rebrand itself as the party of the working class, right? That... You have, um, yeah, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like all of these, none of, no Republican actually supports unions and they, they're doing all these things to make sure that workers have zero power in the workplace. So it makes no sense to suggest that, oh, the Republican party is the party of the working class. But it also is like, it's kind of a signal of hope too, that like in such a horrible place for unions, that this was possible, that we were able to get a vote down. And Alabama, don't get me wrong, Alabama is a place with a lot of, with a long history of unionization. There used to be a lot of like mining there or something like that for, um, yeah. And then, you know, they have a rich history of unionization there. But I guess if there's nothing else um, that we can talk about with like how Amazon destroyed this union, we can maybe go into just like 
I, I read an article, I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's about um, how the union specifically, like the mistakes they made when they were trying to convince um, workers to unionize. To my earlier point though, about um, the union specifically. So like, yeah, Amazon did horrible things that made, made it so that um, the union would not succeed. But also the union, there was a lot of mistakes made by the union specifically and the article in an article from like, um, from the nation talks about how um, they, they basically, um, they, the, these unionization efforts were conducted at the gate to the warehouse. And that's a huge problem because a lot of workers don't wanna be seen with these pro-union people, right? They don't wanna be seen by their managers like talking to these union people. So this, so they, so what we, uh, what they should have done is what I'm reading is that they should have gone door to door um, instead. And the reason that they didn't do that was because of COVID, but obviously like, if you want this unionization effort to succeed, you have to do, you have like door knocking, even on a regular political campaign, door knocking is the, by far the most effective way to reach out to voters um, and digital ways. I mean, they're effective, but they're just not the same. And then also um, there were no what we call structure tests, which is basically a test to see how, if, if the campaign will succeed or not. So basically like they'll get all the workers that are, that are voting yes, and they'll get them on the record and they'll publicly say through like maybe taking a photo together or like, like just saying publicly, I'm going to vote yes on this, on this unionization effort, right? And they didn't do that at all. So what they should have done is like when they got a majority of, when they got a lot of votes, made sure that they were all together um, and then made them like all publicly say or sign something or take a picture together saying, hey, I'm voting in favor of this union. And the reason why that's so effective is because a, a lot of the reasons why these workers did not vote in favor of union is because they don't know how it, the election is going to turn out, right? They don't know how other workers feel. So if they're the only ones voting to support the union, then that makes them a lot more vulnerable, right? There's always strength in numbers. So when a worker sees, look, all of these other workers are voting yes, that we want to unionize, then that's extremely powerful. And it goes a long way to make sure that these union, these workers know that they're not alone. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, um, if you wanna get into the political landscape, we can do that. Yeah, the biggest thing that's happening right now is um, the PRO Act, which Yanka, you could maybe go into that a little bit more. Yeah, uh, and just as a tie-in, you know, the stuff we were talking about earlier that Amazon did, the PRO Act would make at least some of it illegal in the future. Like the parts where I said the mandatory meetings where Am all the Amazon does is tell you to not vote for the, uh, not vote for a union. But uh, basically the PRO Act or the Protecting the Right to Organize Act has already passed the House and it's going through the Senate right now. Mm -hmm. It has 47 co-sponsors so far. The only three on the Democratic side that haven't uh, co-sponsored it are Senator Warner of Virginia, Senator Sinema of uh, Arizona, and Senator Kelly of Arizona. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that Joe Manchin actually came out and supported it. He agreed it. to it like today or yesterday. Something yeah, like that. and that's that it really goes to show like, because right now what we see is that unions, like poll, poll after poll shows that unions are extremely popular, whereas big business 
is not very popular, right? Like I read that um, the corporate tax rate, this is kind of unrelated, but the corporate tax rate that was included in the infrastructure bill made the bill even more um, popular because people are very much anti-big business and pro-union right now. And it's really, you know, it shows how, how, how far we've come from the Reagan era, but just to go in a little bit more into detail here. So what's happening is the PRO Act um, is like, yeah, it gets rid of a lot of the things. It may, like the best, the unionization effort in Bessemer, Alabama would be a lot more successful if the PRO Act had been implemented. And we've always had pro-union laws in the past, but they've always been kind of piecemeal, right? They've always been like, just like adjusting one little thing, one little loophole. And a lot of them have been unsuccessful. The PRO Act is the first time where we go directly from A to Z, where we don't, where we basically go through every, like most of the things in the law that make sure that unions are hard to do and fixes all of it, right? So the PRO Act is probably one of the most one of the biggest pieces of legislation that like that has passed the house so far and would be incredibly influential, which is why it's probably not going to pass. Um, because you see a lot you, you see in the Senate that you can't even get it through budget reconciliation anymore because we couldn't get the $15 minimum wage through it and we would need 60 votes right and we're not getting rid of the filibuster. So getting 60 votes in the Senate is going to be extremely impossible and Biden hasn't really signal that he would try to push this in any way. So yeah, the PRO Act is amazing, but it's gonna be a while since, uh, a while until we see it actually pass. Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of talk about what it does, even though, you know, it's probably, as Ernie said, it's probably not gonna pass. The mm -hmm. only possibility is if we nuke the filibuster, which probably is definitely not happening. Yeah, uh, and as, cinema's there, right? Kristen Cinema Kristen Cinema, yeah. yeah. And so does Joe Manchin. So basically, firstly, what it does is when we were talking about you know, the mandatory meetings, as I was talking about, like Amazon would no longer be allowed to you know, force workers to go join meetings where they basically just say, you know, don't vote for a union. Unions are bad. Do the things, you know, Stern was talking about earlier, saying you have to pay $500 a year, even though you don't. But uh, another big thing it does is it, it makes it much easier for, you know, uh, for employers to, uh, sorry, employees who are under unionizing to sue their employees when their employees like, you know, try to fire them for stuff like this. And, uh, but the biggest thing probably is it, it makes right to work laws illegal. So basically like, as, as we previously stated in many states, basically unions are super weak because of right to work laws, right? Uh, if you're part of a union, you don't even have to pay dues, which severely weakens them. Under this bill, it would remove that and it would actually give unions, you know, a sort of the amount of power that they used to have. And like, you know, what Serena was saying, it'd be a massive increase in union power for the first time in a very long time. Yep. Um, um, I don't know if there's anything else to say about the PRO Act, but I kind of wanted to get into a little bit of like the political landscape outside of the PRO Act around unions. So like just different actors right now in our government and how they have responded to this. So the biggest one right now is Joe Biden, obviously who's president. Um, his response, he's been like the first pro-union president that's like, that's like vocally supportive of unions that we've had in quite a long time. Although obviously that's not saying much. The other pro-union president is like Obama, but he had, he had like, you know, he was like endorsed by and then on a campaign trail, um, he promised that he would support unions. Obviously, that didn't 
get amount to anything because under the Obama administration, you had one of the first big failures of like a major law, which was the Employee Free Choice Act, um, which was another pro-union piece of legislation, which was a lot smaller than the PRO Act, but because Obama didn't really care all that much about it, um, it didn't pass. So yeah, he didn't really say anything about it and he basically broke his campaign promises. But Biden, like he released this video um, that was like, yes, a union or like, yes, workers should have self-determination and like control over whether or not they unionize. The only issue here is that he kind of avoids talking about how he, like his stance on the union itself. Like he never says unions are good. Yes, having a union would be very great for Amazon workers, right? All he says is that you deserve the right to vote for one, right? And like outside of that, there's a lot of things he could have done to make sure that the unionization effort was better. So I read that he could um, he could have released two different executive orders. One, which was enforcing the rule, which is that Amazon has to force disclosures of spent how much they spend on anti-union activities, which not only would this information make it more effective, it would, would give a lot more information to these union organizers, it would also be a lot more disincentivizing for Amazon to do this because now everything that they're doing is out in the open. But then second of all is that, and probably one of the biggest ones is that he could um, take away federal contracts for companies that aren't completely neutral in unionization campaigns. Neither of these things are things that he has done. So you have to wonder, like there's, there's a big gap between what he said in that little video versus what he did. And like, I mean, put that in contrast, contrast to what I like, for example, Bernie Sanders did, right? He flew all the way down to Bessemer, Alabama to help these uh, union organizers campaign. And it's like Biden could have done so much more to make sure that this was more successful than it was. Um, maybe we can get into, I think, was it Marco Rubio that came out in support of... It was some, it was some Republican, I forgot. Came in support of the union? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, that's surprising. I, I, think it was, I, think it's, I think it was Marco Rubio or someone like that. And don't get me wrong, Republicans Rick are very anti-union. No, it was, a, it was, no, I think it was Marco Rubio. But yeah, don't get me wrong. Republicans are generally anti-union. Marco Rubio is definitely anti-union. The reason why they came out in support of this is because they don't like Amazon. Because Amazon is like very, like Amazon is like, does a lot of virtue signaling, right? For like liberals and- um, Oh, you're right. That is Marco Rubio. Yeah, yeah. So Republicans really don't appreciate big tech companies right now because- of the way big tech companies are censoring them. And I think Amazon, like a lot of companies were like opposing the voting law in Georgia. So like that's, it's not that Republicans are actually pro worker, it's that they're anti Amazon and for really petty reasons too, that just that Amazon is, um, yeah, so like don't like Republicans are definitely not good actors in this scenario, and most of them don't support um, these unionization efforts, which is like it goes to show how fake all of their rhetoric is. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, kind of like what you said, right? Why they, you know, do all these things against big tech companies these days. Like mm-hmm. the Georgian Republicans finally repealed a tax cut for big business. And it was because the companies were opposed yeah. to their voter suppression law. It's like you finally yeah. agree that, you know, big businesses get too many tax breaks for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> but it's not even that they agree. It's just that yeah. they're deciding which companies they support now. And they're just not supporting the ones that are liberal, that are like, that are like, quote unquote, like the ones that are virtue signaling, basically. Yeah. But I guess another really notable thing um, and really goes into the big picture of how media plays into all of this is the media coverage of this unionization effort. So there's a really funny story in the New York Times where they changed a title of their article. So the original title of the article was something like Amazon defeats Union Drive, right? And then they changed the title to uh, Amazon workers vote against union. So basically just to break it down is the first title indicates that Amazon Amazon was the one that destroyed this, uh, this union effort, made Amazon look bad basically. But then they changed the title to make it look like the Amazon workers were the ones that didn't want the union, which is obviously extremely misleading um, given the, um, given what happened on the ground in Bessemer, Alabama. But like just in general, I didn't really see that much coverage um, of this happening. And I didn't really see like, like I go through, you know, there are a lot of like political accounts on Instagram um, and I didn't really see this being talked about all that much. It really just seemed like a progressive like type of issue. That's interesting. I did not hear about that. Yeah, but I just want to, you know, this is obviously the first step. Amazon is one of the most powerful companies out there. And just to end it off, I, I want to end off on like a more hopeful note. Um, yeah, we've obviously pretty depressing. <laughs> Uh, yeah no so like I mean the fact that we even were able to get a vote in the first place says a lot and we see that there's a more increasingly pro-union trend not just in the in popular opinion but also in government the fact that the PRO Act even exists and has passed the house already is huge and the fact that um, Joe Manchin actually agreed to vote for it and I think he's a co-sponsor isn't he? But either way, there's um, 46 co-sponsors, 47 yeah. in the Senate. <laughs> so Joe, the fact that Joe Manchin, one of the most despicable Democrats in Congress right now, is in support of this is just it's so big. And uh, Joe Manchin yeah. was very anti-minimum wage, $15. Yeah. And this drive in Bessemer, obviously, you're going to see a lot of this happening in the future. Um, it's going to be much more common um, because you because you see what's possible. You see what you can get, and I think that in the future we will see a lot more unions, um, and and hopefully it does turn out that way. But yeah, I think that's all I have to say. I don't know if you guys want to add anything, and then we can just end it. Okay. Well, um, I don't know. Have a great day or something. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you for listening. Yeah.